Up first, I want to thank the Minnesota Historical Society. Right now, the History Forum is back at the Minnesota History Center. Since 2004, the History Forum has explored American history with some of the nation's very best scholars. That tradition continues in 2023 with five events highlighting the diversity and excellence of today's historical scholarship. In-person and virtual tickets are available at mnhs.org slash history forum. We'd also like to thank our good friends at the Minnesota Propane Association. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. I'm Laura Sherry, your host for today. And our subject matter uh, for today is uh, all about Deutsch Langhaar dogs. Now, if you haven't heard of this German breed, it is quite unique. It is growing in popularity in the U.S. And I am fortunate to have a guest on today that is a trainer, breeder, and owner of these wonderful dogs, Tom Marin. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound Podcast. Well, good morning. I'm so excited to chat with you, I should say, again, because you and I shared an afternoon in the field this fall with your Deutsch Longhaar. And am I pronouncing that right, Longhaar? You are, you are, yes. I think okay, the Germans may say it a little bit differently, but I don't have their accent. So Okay. <laughs> Well, I uh, fell in love with this breed of dog, originally um, meeting one at Game Fair this summer, and then uh, we got together in a field this fall to uh, film your dogs and learn more about this breed because it has such a unique history, and also there is a lot of extensive effort going in to protect the breed lineage and its heritage. And so I wanted to chat with you today to kind of um, fill all of us in on the uniqueness of this breed. So I guess let's just start with um, what is a, a Deutsch Longhaar? Sure. What? Well, they're a, uh, uh, a German long-haired pointer. They're a, a very old breed from Germany. Uh, they, were, they date back to the 1500s. Um, so they're one of the first hunting dogs. Um, kind of mentioned in in early literature um their their breed standards for the actual name deutsch longhaar rather than just a long-haired hunting dog uh was the that breed standard was formalized around 1879 to 1880 so they're they're a little wow. bit older than what people think of the deutsch drothaars or the deutsch uh Kuzars and some of the other German breeds. And we're seeing, you know, it seems like there's been a little popularity growth in some of these German breeds. Like, is the Poodle Pointer a German breed as well? It is correct. Yep. Um, and I've seen more of those around, I guess, Minnesota. And I, when I saw the the Deutsch Longhaar, I felt like I hadn't seen this breed before. So um, I guess, why did it, it takes so long for this breed to kind of get to the U.S., and I feel like it's just starting to gain popularity now. It is, and it's although we have more and more people involved in the breed now, hunters and some breeders here, um, they are not really rare, but we have about um, somewhere probably around 600 dogs in the U.S., 
And we have, I think, 11 breeders now. There are uh, 17 certified stud dogs and I think at this point, 13 certified breeding females. So there aren't a lot of, uh, of dogs and pups available every year. Last year, I believe we had five litters in the U.S. and 44 puppies. And that's about average, I think, for a year. And that's like, if you think about the Labrador Retriever, I mean, the difference in the availability of, you know, getting one of these puppies and um, is, that's really rare. That's not that many. If you No, I I think Labradors, there may be, you know, with a little bit of crossbreeding, there's probably a million of them somewhere in the U.S., um, so we're just a small little corner. And, and part of the reason of the numbers is um, I do run into a lot of people who love the looks of the dogs and really want one. They are, you know, they're a gorgeous dog. They kind of have a regal look to them. Um, but they're, they're, they're bred for hunters, kind of by hunters. So we don't, we don't sell them to, um, you know, just people for a family pet or uh, a dog that they want because they're um, they're really good looking, and they're it, it takes quite a bit of effort um, to get the dogs trained and tested and certified, which kind of um, weeds out um, limits, I guess, the number of breeding uh, males and females out there. Yes, and. This point exactly is what intrigued me about the breed in general. And before we get to all the extensive testing that is done before you're you're allowed to, I mean, if you're going to consider breeding one, um, the amount of tests that this dog has to pass is incredible. But that also isn't just for U.S. standards. This is going back to what the German standards have for the dog. Um, but as you mentioned, before we get to that point, I kind of want to describe what this dog looks like because um, they are extremely beautiful. And um, they, in a way to me, and I could be saying this incorrectly, they look a little bit like a Munsterlander, but they are um, have these beautiful long ears, a feathery, beautiful coat. And they're either, I believe you call it a liver color, is kind of a chocolate color or a liver in white. Is that the two colors that they come in? Correct, and there's there are are shade there are different um, I, I guess shades or combinations of the brown and white, so that it's a called a hell shimmel dog. Their fur is, and they can be from hell shimmel, bronze shimmel, dunkel shimmel, and they go from mostly brown with white ticking um, to almost white with just brown uh, patches in certain places. Yeah, they're beautiful. And their ears, I think, is what gives them so much character. They have the biggest, fluffiest ears ever. And if you were to describe like the characteristics of this breed in general, you know, what would you say, what are those characteristics of a DL, as you call them? Yep. Um, they're they're a, a versatile hunting dog, which is, um, it, it excels in all levels of hunting from uh, from the field, bird work, um, to the forest, tracking, tracking deer, tracking furred animals, rabbits, um, and water work for waterfowl. 
Um, they're a fairly high drive dog in the field. Um, size wise, um, they're on the larger size from 60 to 80 pounds for, from females to males. Uh, you, you had mentioned they kind of look like a large monster lander. Um, that one time those dogs were the same. Uh, oh, really? They were, they were in Germany. Um, I believe back in the maybe, I'm not sure on the date, 1890, something like that. Um, they decided that the brown um, was a better camouflage color, and they banned the color black in the breed. And oh, obviously back yeah. then, the, the breeders with black dogs um, did not want to stop breeding their dogs, so they created their own breed of the large Munsterlander. And since, since that time, although they look similar, um, because they, they have diverged genetically since then, um, they're not really the same dog anymore. But they are, a, you know, they're a, a, a large chested, kind of narrow hipped, uh, long feathery tail with a flag on it. Um, they have feathering on the back side of their front and, and back legs and the long ears. Yeah, they are so beautiful. I um I hopped on the DL, I think it's the DL Club's website. It's dl-gna.org. And there's a little bit of the okay. history of the breed. And they it's written here that in the mid-1900s, um, the, the breed was crossbred with an English pointing dog to result in a faster dog with a sharper pointing instinct and greater stamina, which is really interesting. And they call it the German Forester dog. Do they still call it that today in Germany? In Germany, they do, I believe. So I've read that as well. Very interesting. And so what made you personally fall in love with this breed? Had you owned um, other breeds before this one? I, I had not. This was my first hunting dog. Um, I've hunted all of my life. Um, my parents, both my mother and father, hunted duck hunting, pheasant hunting, deer hunting. And I would go out every chance I did. Until I went off to uh, to college and work, I had hunted with them mostly and my high school friends. And I kind of got away from hunting after I started having kids. And I, I really got back into hunting about 12, 13 years ago. Um, and I, I had one instance one day with a, a hunting partner of mine. We didn't have a dog. And... We'd went out into a little public slough uh, with our 10-foot duck boat and our five decoys, and we had ducks coming in all over on us. Um, we couldn't even scare them away, I don't think. <laughs> and I, I, I think we had dropped maybe seven or eight ducks, and we went out to get them, and I think we found three. And we were just kind of crushed and heartbroken a little bit that we – we couldn't find what we had harvested. Sure. And <clears throat> although we had three ducks in our boat, we had shot eight. They had landed in the cattails and in the trees. And we just kind of, although ducks still kept flying around, we just loaded up and left early in the morning and a little depressed about that. And I said, I'm not going hunting again until I get a hunting dog. I'm not going to go out duck hunting and do this ever again. And so I, I kind of started searching for a dog at that point. 
and I, I kind of stumbled across the the DLs accidentally online. I had hunted up north uh, with a guide um, who had a young pup, and I really loved that pup. It was had a high energy. I'm like, that's the dog I want, and I really didn't know what breed it was, so I, I thought I'll just look online and find it. So when I started searching online, I came across um, a couple of web pages of the Deutsch Longhaar. I came across Mary Wilson. Um, she's a breeder in uh, near Afton, Minnesota. Mary was with us on our hunt. Yes, uh, she was. She had a beautiful dog. And her dogs are really gorgeous, too. And I, I looked at her website, and I just fell in love with just the looks of them. They're just stunning, tall, lean. And they, they kind of have a real regal face on them, and their fur is gorgeous. And I'm like, I am getting one of those dogs. I, I didn't really know that it could take me a year or two years um, on a waiting list to get one. Um, so I was a little disappointed when I found that out. Wait <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I, I actually got quite lucky um, as a. Uh, the founder of our club, Herman Rowling in Colorado, had just had a litter and he had a buyer um, back out at the last moment. And the club breed warden um, at that time had got a hold of me because I, I tried to get a dog from her. And she kind of said, no, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't quite qualify. Oh, <laughs> I hadn't boy. trained I hadn't trained a, a hunting dog on my own before. I hadn't trained a German dog. But she had called up and said, "They have a dog I think that you might be able to get." And for me it was um from that point it, it really kind of changed my life just getting that one dog, Cooper. And since then not only are you now a trainer breeder and of course owner of the DLs. You are an apprentice judge. So this is um, one of the most interesting aspects, as I had mentioned, of this breed is um, the extensive qualifications that obviously they seem that they want owners to have certain qualifications, but also these dogs need to pass very um, extensive testing. And um, you now are, are getting in to the judging side of that. And when I was chatting with you and the group, uh, when we were out in the field, you had mentioned that there are certain times of your year where you even fly judges in from Germany for your field trials to get dogs passed and all of their testing. So what kind of, you know, let's, will you explain kind of why all of this testing exists and um, of course protecting the breed, but, and then what is, you know, what are some of the tests that these dogs have to pass? Sure. There, there's a, there's, there's two main um, organizations that control uh, the breed um, and uh, the testing that go on. The, they're both German organizations. The, uh, the DLV, which is the Deutsch Longhaar Verbrand, the Deutsch Longhaar Club, is our parent club in Germany. Um, I, I believe it's now uh, 13 years ago, um, our North American club was authorized by them through Herman Rowling. Um, he started up this club, and it, it took him, I believe, 12 years 
to get two dogs, um, a male and female, that were certified to breed um, before really? he had his first litter and started up the club. Um, the the DLV controls all of our breeding regulations and um, kind of certification of the dogs, whether they are uh, uh, allowed to be bred or not. And the different um, items that they require from us is that they do have to pass um, some hunt tests. The the two breed tests that they pass is a, a VJP, which is a, a spring natural ability test. It's similar to what NAVDA, um, North American Versatile Hunting Dog, does for their um, natural ability test. Um, sure. There, there's tracking in it. There's a field search. Um, they, they score their pointing ability and evaluate their use of nose and cooperation and if the dog is gun sensitive. And, and then they have to pass a fall breed test, um, which kind of evaluates the dog's um, abilities and characteristics um, to prove that they are a reliable retriever and that they're kind of suitable for breeding going forward. Um, we, we also have to do um, hip x-rays. Uh, the dog must get a loudness certificate, a lout, where the dog must be witnessed by a, uh, a licensed judge uh, while hunting. It must bark at a uh, at a furred animal. Really, in a hunting situation, correct? And that comes mainly. I mean, it comes from the Germans because they do you know boar hunting, um, roe deer, a lot of rabbit hunting over there. So the dogs must be able to when they send them out on a free search in the field to find game, um, they want the dogs to be able to find the game alert to it so they can hear where the game is. Okay. The hunters wow. can. We, we also have to um, have a hardness certificate, uh, which is the dog must demonstrate the ability to dispatch a, uh, a predator like a, a fox, a raccoon, a badger, uh, or, or that type there. In, in Germany, it's important for um, predators to be uh, controlled. Uh, they don't have a lot of birds left. Um, they want, normally a hunter is paired up on a piece of property, whether they lease it, rent it, but the hunter himself is responsible for the game on that land generally. Okay. Um, if, if there are, if there are wild boar in there and the wild boar come in and tear up the field, the hunter is responsible for that damage. So, so how do you do that in a trial setting? I mean, obviously you're not releasing a wild boar into the field. Correct. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> it seems like this would be a so difficult the, one to pass. Yeah. The, the, uh, um, the hardness certificate does not have to be, executed um, in a hunting situation, the lout does. So they must be able to um, be loud um, in a hunting situation. So normally we do that here in the United States with rabbits. Okay. Um, so, so we'll go to a place with a lot of rabbits, we'll beat the brush and then we'll find a rabbit um, uh, that will run off in front of the dog and the dog will 
chase after it and bark more or less. Okay. And wow. It can be hard to do just because you have to have a couple of judges um, that have to witness it and sign off on it. The the hardness certificate um, usually um, sometimes it occurs when you're hunting, and that does not have to be um, witnessed by a judge. It can be witnessed uh, because you're not always hunting with a judge. It can sure. be and generally is witnessed um, in the field with another licensed hunter a lot of times it may be a raccoon that the the dog discovers um and they have to show the ability that they would dispatch it interesting and they're actually quite efficient most of the german breeds the drothars um they're pretty efficient at doing it high prey drives correct yep and then the last thing that they have to pass um is a breed show um where they're rated for their their coat their confirmation to the breed standard, um, their type, body type, such as that. So by the time you get done with all that, it could be, um, I think my my male Cooper, who was six and a half years old, um, I got him certified, I believe, uh, when he was three years old. And my female, um, I got her certified when she was uh, two and a half. So it and how takes much quite time? a bit. Yeah. Like how much time does that take just on your free time to, because I'm assuming, I mean, not every dog is going to pass all of these tests just in one day, right? This is, you know, a lot of extensive training and of course, natural ability, but um, does that take a lot of your just personal time? Is it, you know, you really have to dedicate yourself to getting these dogs passed on these tests? It does quite a bit, so I, I, I can't estimate the hundreds of hours it takes, sure. but it's quite a bit. <laughs> and I, I had never trained a hunting dog before, um, and actually when I got this dog, I had I had told Herman um, that I would get it tested. When he told me about the test, I said, oh yeah, I will get it tested, not knowing anything that was involved. Um, and my my plan was I would bring this dog to a trainer to Mary Wilson and I would pay her to train it for me. And she set me straight right away and said, you don't want to do that because that dog will hunt for me, but it won't hunt for you as well. You need to do this yourself. So you need to learn how to train a dog and then you can train that dog. So she, she mentored me in that. Um, or I would, I would never have gotten either of these dogs certified. So that's, I mean, that is a very interesting point. If you are interested in this breed, you know, many people who buy labs or pointers or whatever, you know, they send them off to hunting, I'll call it school, um, trainers, et cetera. And, uh, and they come back and they're able to do blind retrieves and they'll, they'll still hunt for you all day long. So this breed is a little bit more unique where they're, they must be quite bonded to the person that's doing the training. It is. I mean, I, I do know a few people who have had their dogs trained by other um, trainers and other breeders, and the dogs hunt very, very well. It's, I think there is a difference between how that dog hunts with the person who trained it and how it hunts just with, you know, someone that it's been sold to afterwards sure the, my my dogs have a such a connection with me it's we 
you don't really have to speak that much there and uh, they get scored on most of these tests in their level of cooperation and cooperation is um, what the dog um, provides to the the handler or the hunter in terms of um, following nonverbal um, communication kind of so if I if I turn to the left the dog is always kind of looking back at me no matter whether it's out 100 or 200 yards the dog knows where I'm at and the dog knows where I want it to search or which way I'm going so you, you kind of establish a a partnership between the two of you very cool and all of this all the testing and the paperwork and the certification that all still goes back to Germany. Is that correct? That's also, I thought was something that was really it, interesting. It does. And they, they, they approve and they, um, they review every piece of paper, every test that we send over to them. Um, so that they're quite involved in, in every single dog that we're certifying. And the, the testing has gone back, um, a long ways to the, the same tests, a, a very similar form of them and the requirements for them go back to the early 1900s here, 1910, somewhere around there, I think, were the initial um, breed tests uh, were first standardized. And that's that's by the, the JGHV. I, I can't tell you that pronunciation of that but it's the German hunting the German versatile hunting dog club and and they are in charge of all of the the testing that goes um for all of the German dogs all of the breeds all of the the versatile breeds so the the Drothars the Poodle Pointers um, the Weimarammers uh the Kuzars and and all of those dogs um pass these same tests so a a, a deutsch drothar has to pass these same items um that a a long does which is you know i i admire countries and people that take breeding of dogs so seriously and making sure they're passing on genetic traits and health and um those types of aspects uh to you know, not only make sure that they're breeding healthy animals, but that these dogs are keep the lineage of what the origination was for the breed is is incredible. I wish the U.S. would do that a little bit more with all of the dog breeds that um, are out there today. Everyone knows how much my family loves Connecticut water. We have it in our home, and this summer we added it at the cabin. <laughs> and oh boy, what a difference. Really, for as long as I can remember, we've dealt with that cabin water, that Minnesota stinky, foul well water. Well, after a painless four-hour installation, we have Connecticut soft water and also Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make our coffee in the morning before fishing. We have great drinking water right out of the K5 tap. The laundry no longer smells funny, and Connecticut water also cleaned up our showers and dishes. The world's most efficient, worry-free water system. Visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you and join the Connecticut family. Also, we'd like to give a shout-out to our good friends at Star Bank. 
Most people agree that we need to lower our carbon footprint while providing reliable and affordable energy. A diverse energy mix will provide reliability and affordability, which is extremely important during Minnesota's four distinct seasons. Fortunately, a clean energy solution for tomorrow is available today. That's ready to work alongside with other energy sources, and it's propane. Propane produces 43% fewer emissions than electricity generated from the U.S. grid. Propane is energy stored on site and independent from the vulnerabilities of the grid. And propane's benefits don't end there. Major advances are being made today for renewable propane that is compatible with the traditional propane and requires no additional infrastructure investments. Minnesota needs to use all our low-carbon alternatives, including propane, to safely provide energy, reliability, resiliency, and affordability. Propane, the right energy right now. To find out more about what propane can do for you, visit propane.com. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Remember FDIC and Equal Housing Lender? When we were hunting that this past fall, it was also mentioned that Germany is very serious about finding all wounded game. That, um, in fact, that are you fined or something happens if you lose like a pheasant, you're not able to recover it. And that's why they take their hunting breeds so serious over there as well. And um, of course it is very important that we, we find any game that we harvest um, so we can fill our freezer yeah, and you, be conscious of that. Unlike here, you know, German law actually requires um, a hunting rights holder, or a, if you would get a, a license to hunt in Germany, if you're if you're lucky enough to achieve one, um, that you must own or have available a versatile hunting dog to search for wounded game. You cannot hunt without one. Interesting. I did not know that either. Yep. And and you you can get fined. You might get your license suspended or lost potentially. If you have wounded game and not made a, a valiant effort or to find it, or potentially if you've just lost it, you can't find it because your dog isn't good enough. And you can't just hunt with any type of dog. Um, it has to be a dog that has passed um, one of the certification tests um, like the JGHV does. Okay. They actually take it a, they take it a step farther. Um, the, the two tests that I mentioned, the VJP and the HZP, the fall breed test, there's another test um, which is called a VGP, and that is a two-day test of a finished dog. It's, it's quite extensive. Uh, I believe there's um, 28 different items that the dog is scored on, and it's a, a uh, an evaluation of a finished dog. And in Germany, um, you, you would be expected to have a finished dog that could pass one of those tests. 
If you're hunting. If you're going to hunt, yep. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, one unique trait that this breed has, and I know your dogs are trained in this as well, is actually tracking blood of a wounded game. So you can use this breed to, if you're unable to find um, a buck that you shot or whatever, that this breed can come out and help you find it. And your dogs are um, trained to do this. And I, I keep seeing, you know, articles here and there about people hiring um, people that have these dogs if they can't find uh, the deer or whatever, that this is becoming a little bit more popular. But I think it's it's fairly difficult. This is um, to, you know, if you wanted to train a lab to do this, it's going to be a little bit more difficult than versus, you know, a dog that has this innate trait that's been bred, in it, bred into it for hundreds of years. Do you, how did you, you know, how do you train your dog to track wounded game? I mean, it seems difficult. Um, yep. So you, you, you it kind of starts with, they have the natural ability to follow scent. Um, so you start with the dog as a pup and, and you may do a drag, um, like with a rabbit or a fox, or you can use a deer leg and, and you just drag it for a short amount of, you know, maybe five, 10 yards even. And then bring the pup in. You may leave a little bit of fur off of uh, whatever you're dragging right on the grass where you started. Bring the dog down and put the dog's nose next to it. Um, have a short lead on it. And then let the dog sniff and follow that drag track. Um, when it gets to the end of it, um, we have a reward for it. Whether it's a uh, hot dog, a treat, a little bit of uh of dog food that it likes and you slowly lengthen that track and make it more difficult put turns in it do it through um thicker cover and you eventually move on to you might bounce bounce it instead of drag it the whole way and then you move up to um to using blood as well so we use deer blood or cow blood and in the in the testing part of it in the VGP um, where they have a 400 meter drag or a blood track. I'm sorry. Uh, they'll put a drop of blood down every, uh, every six to eight feet, somewhere around there, a couple of large steps and they put one drop for 400 yards. Um, and the dogs are surprisingly very good at it. They're mine. My, I, I kind of have two different types of trackers with my male and female. The male will try to run as fast as he can, and he'll get there right away. And the female is a little bit better, more controlled in her desire, kind of like a bloodhound where where she sniffs, keeps her nose to the ground a little more. It takes her a lot longer, but she's just as accurate or more. Isn't that interesting? And, um, you know, is that – something that takes years to develop as far as tracking with a game, or is it, it's pretty instinctive just like it would be to pick up a pheasant feather. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be the dog kind of the, uh, um, the dog, how well, how good its nose is and how well it uses it. And then if it can, if it can control its, its drive or its desire to find the game, um, some dogs have a very high desire and they cannot control it. So they just run oh, no. and then they overrun the track if the, if the animal has turned. 
Um, so it, it just depends on which type of dog and what what its natural abilities are. Um, I would say that they're most of these German bred dogs um, because they've they've passed this. They've had to pass rabbit drags in all of the breeding tests and and duck drags that the ones that don't never get bred. So over a hundred years and generations of these dogs, you have a pretty good chance that most of the offspring are always going to be good trackers. Sure. Have you ever had to use your dog to track down a a deer, anybody has that? Have you had a friend yep, call? I, I, they need your I, help. Like, how did that go? I will generally, the even, if, even if I have, uh, even if I know where my deer went, um, I'm going to bring my dog in just because it's so much fun for me to to watch them track, and and I track for other people as well. Generally, just for archery, but I've done some for firearm as well. And I'll, I'll respond either to one of the, I think, Minnesota Deer Trackers Facebook page has a, uh, um, a page where people ask for help and they have um, trackers listed on there. And oh. I'll, I'll, I'll periodically, a couple of times a year, I'll, if somebody can't find one and it's near me, I'll respond and say, we'd be happy to come out and find your deer for you. That's so nice of you. I'm like, I feel it is, like I, I really like enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And, well, and it, it didn't take that much. I mean, I probably worked for with my mail, um, probably maybe a month, a uh, couple of times a week um, before he was pretty reliable at doing about a 400 yard um, blood track. I, I think the longest deer track I've done with him is a uh, 1.1 mile deer track. Really? And they're they're just following the blood actually, so they don't have to have blood either. So they 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 track the individual deer, the uh, um, the scent gland um, that's in its uh, in its hoof. So that deer, when it's um, frightened, um, lets off a different scent um, through its end, and they can just follow that whether there's blood or not. That is so interesting. Yeah, this, um, when you demonstrated that when we were out filming for Minnesota Bound, I thought that was the coolest thing. I mean, that your male was on that track in seconds. And I've and part of through all the testing that you know I learned how to do. Um, I, I've always just been intrigued by it because it's I, my dogs are great hunting dogs, but they would have never been as efficient and as good, and we wouldn't have been as good of a hunting team if I would not have gone through and learned this German system of of testing, and I, I kind of. I was very interested in it, and that's the reason why I'm now trying to become a judge myself. How many judges the, are in the U.S.? Are you one of um, few? I'm guessing. No, there's the the VDD, the uh, Drothar, um Club of North America. They have it's a pretty large club, and I. I I'd probably be guessing, but I'm sure they have close to, oh, they maybe a hundred judges. I think. 
Okay. So and so their so club quite a few, yeah. Okay. So their club can also be a judge for the DLs as well. So it's, it's the same type of testing. Yeah, because it's the the testing is is a different organization than the actual breed. Um so the JGHV, the German Hunting Dog Association, they control all the testing and all the, the certification of the judges, which becoming a judge is not easy. I bet not. <laughs> a, this, is my, this is my third year. I probably should have been done last year, but it, it takes a considerable amount of, of time and effort to do it. So um, you have to. And, and you can't you can't become one until you have successfully taken a a dog um, trained yourself and tested it yourself and passed through the three different tests. That is incredible. I mean, the extensiveness of the test just for the dogs. I can't imagine what they have for for you as a judge. It's got to be pretty. Yeah, you know, we all kind of, we all we all kind of complain. It's the it's the reports. <laughs> oh. the, uh, when 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 you're done with it, you have to re, you have to report if you had four or five dogs in your judging group. Um, you have to verbally write everything that they did on each element of the test for each dog, and be able to read it as though you were envisioning it and seeing it. Wow. Wow. And that's fascinating is all of this is archived for, and it has been for, you know, hundreds of years now. And that's what keeps the breed so pure and um, probably why um, they are so successful in the field. If someone's interested in learning more about the breed or learning more from you or interested in possibly getting a puppy, um, where can they find you? Um, they can find me through the dl-gna.org website. Um, I'm listed as one of the uh, breeders. Um, they can also find me I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, my dogs have their own Facebook page. Awesome. Uh, I think it's a uh, Facebook. Uh, the uh, the Northern Pointer at Facebook. Northern Pointer is the handle on Facebook if you want to yep. learn a little bit more about the breed and chat with Tom about possibly getting a puppy. And um, I'm guessing if you are interested in purchasing a puppy or a dog that you must present yourself as a hunter or are there, what do I call it, regulations or things required to be an owner of one of these dogs when you go to a breeder? Um, each breeder probably has their own uh kind of what they're looking for in owner and buyers. Um, some will write contracts, some won't. Uh, generally, you have to be a hunter, and that's actually required by the, uh, the German parent club that we have to sign and register each of the owners and certify or attest that they are um, licensed hunters. Um, I know that some dogs have obviously gone to people who do not hunt or do not hunt anymore. Um, and maybe there are some dogs who are maybe you always get a few dogs in each breed that are probably not that great of hunters. Um, sure. So there's always a place for a few. Uh, for me, I kind of rank in order of, you know, 
I make a little list of people who want dogs and the people who go to the top of the list are people who are interested in getting the dog certified to be bred later on. Since we have so few, I want this breed to succeed. And the only way it will is if we bring new people in who learn this training and testing system and get their dog certified and eventually have another litter as well. Sure. And also, if you're interested, I think it would be important to go through a registered breeder and not somebody who's posting something on Craigslist, for instance. Yeah, and I don't know that you would ever find one of these dogs, um, you know, listed for sale somewhere uh, that's not through a certified breeder. Generally, we will ask if someone, if we sell a dog to someone, and I've only had one litter, but the other breeders out there, if you have a dog that um, the owner has decided that it was a mistake for them to get the dog, whether there's something wrong with the dog or with their family situation or household situation, that the breeders will take the dog back. We want the dog back because we have, we have other homes and people that are waiting for them. Awesome. Well, this was so informative today. I should also mention that um, we had Travis Mears on our podcast, I think just a couple weeks ago, uh, Shotgun Trick Shooter, and he just recently bought one of your puppies who I got to meet this fall. She is adorable. And uh, Travis said that they just love her to death and that she's just an incredible dog. So um, that was really fun. A little fun connection there. I was very happy to, to supply him with a pup. He seemed like the perfect um, uh, buyer, owner, um, yes. partner, and his family just loved that dog. And it's yeah, it, it was it was very hard for my family to to give up these little puppies because they're <laughs> puppies they're so are cute. cute. Everybody likes them, and, and they're beautiful, gorgeous puppies. And um, it, it kind of takes the sting out of getting rid of them when you get to see families like that. And how they just adore him. And he's had that little dog out already pointing and searching for birds. And he's doing well on it. And he's on his way to uh, to getting it tested this spring, too. Awesome. Yeah, she was very beautiful. Uh, even that day, uh, you brought her out to the field, not for hunting, but just so we could see a puppy. And um, we someone put down a pheasant feather and boy, was she birdie on that. She went right after it. So I was like, if that's instinct, that's a perfect example of it. Cause she was really wanting that feather. <laughs> well, if people, if people do want to see them, you know, whether they're in the cities, most of the breeders are, if you look on the website, they'd be happy to have you come over and look at their dogs. And we, um, we also have booths at, um, at Pheasant Fest and at um, Game Fair as well up here in Minnesota. Yes, definitely stop by Pheasant Fest and Game Fair to see the their beautiful dogs. They are really regal looking. And um, you can also check them out again on the website, which is dl-gna.org. I was um, looking at all the current stud dogs and breeding females and um, they are just so beautiful. So fun spot to learn more about the breed. And um, Tom, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today to inform us more about the the Deutsch Longhaar. Um, very sure, unique I, hunting I breed. always love talking about my dogs. <laughs> yes, I know. I could yeah. talk about dogs all day long too, but I love history of breeds. So it's really fun to learn all the unique 
breeds that are out there and um, kind of the why behind how they got here and how you're trying to preserve them. So it was wonderful. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about them for a while. Yes. <laughs> All right. Once again, thank you to our sponsors, Star Bank, Connecticut, Minnesota Historical Society, and Minnesota Propane Association. Last but not least, don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm-hmm.